Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and we've got a special guest on today, someone who's dear to me. I will introduce them in a second, but um, just wanted to take a moment to say hello. Um, I am super glad that this podcast exists because we have so many conversations that just need to be had in and outside of the church, especially for church people. You know what I mean? Um, So I'm really excited for us to get into today's um, interview. Uh, This person I met years ago. um, (laughs) I actually told them I wanted us to share some stories, so I don't think I want to say that right now, but um, I have such mad respect for this person. They are wild they are wild and adventurous and pioneering and they have such a beautiful intimacy with the holy spirit that i just want them to be able to share some of that as well i'm really excited for you guys to meet them they've actually very uniquely impacted my story and you'll get to hear some of that um as we get into this um this person used to be a a, i mean a pastor in so many different roles at bethel church and that's where he and i met um you guys i'd like to introduce you guys to seth doll hello so good to be here. <laughs> Mike, um, yes. Yeah, and I want to also just remind you guys, listen, Seth, I'm giving him permission to say whatever he wants. And I may or may not agree with anything that he says, and that's irrelevant. I want him to have full freedom to say whatever he wants to say. And we all just get to deal with it. Cool. Um, I doubt that's such a good that's such a good intro to a podcast, is that <laughs> that right there. Most people are the opposite. This is oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want like let's talk about it, you know. I want you to be able to bring the real the real deal to the table. Um, so Seth, Seth, to pick us up, first of all, can you introduce yourself to the world? Um, yep. Can you tell them what you did at Bethel? I know you had a couple of different yeah. changes there. And then what are you doing now? And whatever you'd like to just kick us off with, that would be really helpful for the audience. Yeah. I started at Bethel just doing children's outreach. We had a, I came from New York City where we did sidewalk Sunday school and just ministered to kids out in public, uh, hundreds of kids at a time. And so brought that to Bethel just kind of as a, hey, let's go into the trailer parks. Let's go into the after school programs and reach kids. And so I did that for a little bit and then became children's pastor within the church and then became children's director of the children's ministry as a whole and did that. So total, I was on staff 10 years and traveled a lot, teaching children's ministry around the world for Bethel. And it was amazing 10 years, an amazing 10 years of my life. And you know, partway through, I also helped Chris Gore run the Friday night service. So I had my hands in Friday night church. Um, And Eric and I, you know, I was on Eric's kind of local church team. So we just did some stuff helping with conferences and other things like that. But so I had my hands in a lot of things, children in the healing room, stuff like that. I was a little bit involved in. So anything children for a while at Bethel, I was involved in, which was really, really fun. Yeah, totally. Nice. Cool. Helpful. And then Seth, do you remember when you and I met? I don't I remember, don't remember when. No, I don't know how. No idea. I'm, 
I think because you and I probably just knew of each other from a distance for a minute before we ever actually had a conversation. And but then so it just didn't feel like an official start date. The start date was, yeah. you know, on either yeah. end of our experiences. But you guys, at one point, let's just throw this story in there to get us started. Yeah. I was growing out a goatee, just letting my facial hair grow. And I was running registration for a kid's camp that uh-huh. I was putting on. And obviously Seth was running that because that's his department. And I was walking through the cafeteria area. He had Seth was sitting at a table surrounded by children. And he like stood up and gasped and looked in my direction. So all these kids like darted to look at what Seth was looking at. And it was me walking down this area. And he like grabbed my face in his hands. And said, do you want to tell us, tell them what happened? Because I think I've, I, they've probably heard me say this, but I wanted them to hear from you. What happened? I don't there? remember. Did I you just celebrate how beautiful your mustache is? <laughs> is that what I did? You grabbed me by the face and you said, two months. Give me two months. Oh, and yes, like, that's your, right. I your did. crazy eyes were just staring at my mustache. And I was like, what? <laughs> and like in that moment, I actually, this is weird. But I think in hindsight, when I think back to that moment, I think you did something to me. Because I remember in that moment say, thinking to myself, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give them two months. Let's see what happens. I've tried you- other people. They won't, they won't let, they will not give in. And you <laughs> did. And now you're grateful. You're grateful <laughs> because the mustache has become your brand. It has become, <laughs> it's, it's synonymous with wisdom now and synonymous <laughs> with discernment. And it's, I'm so glad you gave in to my two months request. Me too. I mean, you had a mustache at the time, actually. And you would, I did. You know, and a beard. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I remember. And then, then I became jealous of yours. Remember, we went to Ireland together. I was so jealous. I'm like, you don't have to put wax in that thing. It just goes where you want it to go. And it's so symmetrical. Your mustache is so symmetrical. That's very rare. I don't know if you know this. It's rare. You have such nice facial follicles on your upper lip that I'm now jealous of. I wish I would totally have a mustache again if it grew like that. Wow, thank you. I'm honored. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, I'm I'm honored to have a part in it. It's, it's beautiful so, for me. For the record, you guys, <laughs> Seth is very much to blame for this hilarious, you know, addition to my life. And it's been on my face for the last, I think, eight years now. Six mm-hmm. years. Like that. It's been a while. Hilarious. So Seth that definitely has a legacy <laughs> in investing yeah. in my life. So funny. Um, yeah, that is funny. Um, so Seth, I also wanted to bring up um I know you guys probably don't necessarily know this, but um, I worked for a woman named Deborah Coombs at Bethel. Deborah was known as a wild woman, crazy eyes, lion's mane, just fiery, prophetic, discerning, scary prophetess. Yes. She would leave a trail of bodies, you know, in her everywhere. Way, everywhere. Just people getting encountered by the Holy Spirit, getting drunk in the spirit. You know, I'm not sure what all your theology is here, but she would very much happen to people. God would do some crazy stuff through her and people would just have a very interesting, consistent reaction to whatever Deborah was moving in. And so Seth and I, I mean, Seth and Deborah would very much get kind of crazy. Like they'd be on a playground. Yeah, just getting getting wild and mischievous is the right word, just wreaking havoc with people and playing with the Holy Spirit, they would say, I'm sure. And so I got to be in the crossfires of that many times. And I actually feel like I mostly survived when Deborah and Seth were around each other. Um, so I remember, I remember one time we were at Bethel Media and Deborah literally tied our heads together with a scarf. I don't know how know. She, she like wrangled somehow she pulled it off. I'm like, how did this happen? But she started like dragging us around by a scarf with our heads. I know. I know. She's nuts. <laughs> yes. I'm wild, but she's off the rails and it's so good. It's so healthy. 
it really it is so offensive and uncomfortable but when you stop fighting it when you stop being afraid and you like open up to consideration and curiosity and trust like something happens like deborah wrecked me i don't know what happened but like a lot of the religion and uptight like fear and need for control kind of broke off of my life being under oh my gosh i know yeah do you have any thoughts on that seth (laughs) i think yeah actually it's funny because the conversation that mike and i are having this morning i i didn't know we were going to talk about the stuff we're going to talk about but this morning i had a couple of thoughts in my head one of them has everything to do with what we're going to get into later but i also this morning getting ready to leave i i had i felt like the lord said to me i am not trying to not offend people like he just doesn't care if he's offensive and and like it's actually quite important you know bill johnson would say god will offend your mind to reveal your heart to you to help you see what's actually going on he'll offend you on purpose and i just watched this video it's robert madu i don't know if you know him that he is an amazing preacher really tall black guy he's so good he said god is not good at wrapping christmas presents and and here's what he said he said god will give you the things that you the best gifts all the best gifts typically come in horrible wrapping they'll come inside that person that offends you more than anybody else and that's where the best gifts come and i think that's what's important in a conversation like this with someone like deborah where she'll tie your head together with a scarf you know i've had a lot of people get either upset at me or completely wrecked when it's like hey i I feel like i'm just gonna wrestle that person on the ground or i'm i'm gonna (laughs) grab that woman's ponytail and whip it around like a helicopter and and as soon as they loosen up as soon as they lighten up, I just had this conversation too with my pastor here, Bethel Austin with Joaquin. I said, you know, he, he's, he, there was a woman with all this crazy disease in her body and she came for prayer and he goes, he says, Hey, I need you to do something. And she's like, what, what I'll do anything. I'll do anything. He goes, I need you to do nothing. And, and her daughter said all of her control came down. And she opened up and this woman has all these crazy miracles happening in her body right now. Super crazy stuff. Beautiful. But it's that thing of like, you know, we want to do something. We want to have everything nice and neat. And, you know, Joaquin's like, hey, uh, just don't do anything. And and the control comes down or, hey, Deborah's going to tie your head together with another man and drag you around. And it's and if you yield to it, it sounds ridiculous. But if you yield to it, the the, the love that can come, the joy that can come. If, if we just, and, and the whole thing of like, look, God will offend you on purpose. He'll wrap your present in a package that you think is horrible. But when you open it up, you discover it's exactly what you wanted, exactly what you needed. But sometimes you just got to get past your offense and like, it's, or your control or your need for everything to be super nice and neat and packaged up nice. And like, that's what Deborah would do for people that's what like i tell people this i don't say this very often i i I can't say this in a lot of churches and a lot of podcasts like i literally teach people if you want to help people receive from god sometimes you need to make them uncomfortable you need to grab the woman's ponytail and spin it around and if she fights it she'll she'll actually just resist everything if she yields to the almost silliness mischievousness the fun it's like that's that's part of 
that's part of how God touches people is like, just yield, just yield. Stop being so uptight. Stop being so worked up. Get your walls down. Yield. Like I grab women, if they have a bun, I'll say, give me your bun, give me your bun and I'll jiggle it. And, and God will come. Like if I've seen over and over, these women get wrecked, but that's what happened to us with Deborah. We yielded. We let her tie our heads together. And it's like, you know, even prophetically, it's like, what happened? Like she tied our heads together. Now we're doing this interview years later. Now we're still connected. Now we're still friends, like our heads, you know, it's like, you can look at it that way of like, what did she do? She bonded us. She bonded our minds together and we yielded. And it's like, it was a powerful moment for both of us. And sometimes that's important to remember. It's like Jesus caused commotion a lot of places think about when the little kids like you want to you want to talk about a super weird offensive thing it's like you had children and parents trying to interrupt his sermon to get to him it's like and the disciples were the ones that were mad like don't you dare interrupt his message he's in mid-sermon how dare you and jesus interrupts the people that are interrupting the children and he's like, let those children come to me. Like, wait a second. I don't actually care if you interrupt my message. This isn't about the message. This is about me touching those kids. Those kids are trying to get a hug, a blessing, a kiss on the head. And, and that's all they're trying to get. And that's all the parents want. They're not trying to listen to a sermon. They're trying to just get a hug from Jesus. Like, stop stopping the kids from coming. And what's Jesus doing? He's offended at the people who are offended from everything being nice and neat and tidy and sermon all packaged perfectly and it's like nope sometimes you need a kid to get in there and interrupt the sermon for god to do what he wants to do wow so good and so i I don't know whether it's offense whether it's control whether it's doing too much and you just need to do nothing like relax chill out loosen up like that's how you receive you can't receive anything when you're all clenched up you gotta loosen up and that's what some of that stuff does wow I love it. Yeah, that's so true and really good. I don't know if I hear it articulated like that, but you're right. Like, and there is something to that. Like I used to be so tightly wound and so clenched and so severe in my Christianity. And I was also so dull or numb to the things of the spirit for so long, at least in my heart. And there is a loosening up that is necessary for us to be moved by that. You're right. And I don't think we describe it like that very often, but it very much is a loosening, a yielding, That's so true. And you and Deborah constantly were providing opportunities for people to make that choice. I I love it. I mean, I think this is one of the elements like, like if you go totally Pentecostal charismatic on it, it's like, why is praying in tongues important? Because you have to let go of your mind's control. Like you don't know what you're saying. You don't, no one else is going to understand what you're saying unless God lets you interpret, which you want. But like, you have to give up the con- the ultimate control is I have no understanding of this. I have no grid for this. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm seriously praying this weird language that I don't even think is a language. Like it, it requires you to give up control of even your own thoughts and your own words and what's coming out of your mouth. You have to surrender control. And it's actually training and preparation for all the other elements of the spirit. Because it's like, if you're going to prophesy over someone, you have to give up control and let God think through you and give you ideas. If you're going to pray for the sick, you have to give up control to actually like 
I don't know how this is going to happen that someone's going to get healed of seizures or heart disease or I have no idea how any of this happens. Good. I don't need to. So I'm not in control of it. I just, I just pray and I let the spirit out. And that's, and so praying in tongues is, you know, it's like, that's a huge element to letting go of control, but that's what it requires. You actually have to be okay with, I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth. I have no one else does either. I look nuts. Oh, well, oh, well, <laughs> like, but oh, it's, well. I yeah. love it. I love yeah. it. This and you guys matters. Also- for the record, Seth isn't exaggerating. In fact, he's actually under, he's being very conservative in what he's talking about. I've been on prayer lines and in ministry settings with Seth where he's dragged me along with him and he will grab people. He will grab women by their heads. He will say, give me your bun. And he will straight up mess up their hair and just do crazy stuff to these adults, like in civilized society. And I'm like, Seth, what? And I'm uncomfortable and I'm on Seth's side of this, right? And I'm like, oh God, what are you doing? Stop. And I would Think about laugh. Yeah. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Like, if the Holy Spirit's the comforter, then self-comfort is resisting the need to the comforter. I resist the Holy Spirit by self-comfort. And we're really good in the West of making our lives so dang comfortable, we leave no room for the comforter. And then you have all these theologians, like I've had theologians like, well, that's some charismatic BS nonsense, da 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 The Holy Spirit's always with us. I'm like, absolutely, the Holy Spirit's always with us. But the reason you don't experience him ever is because you've created such a comfortable life where it's not comfort, it's actually walls. It's like you're so, you know, you have the air conditioner on in the summer. You have the heat on in the winter. When it's raining, you put the umbrella up. You put your clothes on to make sure you never feel the elements outside. It's like, you know what? If you got uncomfortable once in a while, you'd experience the comforter like you never believe. And that's why risk, even like in everything we do in the Christian life, it's like if you don't take a risk, you have no need for comfort because You know what I mean? To go pray for someone or talk to someone or approach someone or start a new ministry or move to a new place, risk, 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 uncomfort, 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 discomfort. And it's like, oh, that's where the Lord's like, hey, now you're like, oh, you're with me. I feel you. Why do I feel you? Oh, I got uncomfortable and I needed you. I recognized my need for you where I couldn't even see it before because I've created my own comfort. So I have no need for the Holy Spirit's comfort. Wow totally that's oh that's so true so it's important like in when you're praying for people sometimes it's like to grab the ponytail what i do it just made you super uncomfortable and now the comforter can show up even though he's always there even though he's always here you're walking through all comfortable got your little tight prayer situation scenario you're walking through and it's like wait my ponytail's flying around and someone's saying take her up helicopter give her a new perspective she's like oh yeah i would like that okay and then bam there you go take her up (laughs) take her up get her get her above the clouds fly her up above the clouds let her see from above heaven's perspective give her the helicopter on her head go go gadget helicopter and people are like childlike 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 and boom unless you repent and become like a child you will not enter the kingdom that's a that's a strong word wow so sometimes being silly is all you need wow that's so good, Seth. <laughs> Man, this is, I like this. Come on, Mike. <laughs> oh. oh, that's awesome. Okay. The, we're going to probably talk more about this in a bit, but I do want people, especially for people who are listening, who've maybe never heard of you before, never met you or whatever. Um, you guys, just for, in case you haven't caught it, Seth has since 
the Bethel days. Like he went to LA. He's now in Austin, Austin. Texas, part of Bethel, Austin over there. Um, but Seth, you have such a radical experience, a conversion experience, right? Like meeting Jesus for the first time. Would you mind just sharing? I know obviously you could probably spend a couple hours just really just getting into the details of your story, but would you mind giving us um, a brief intro yeah. to your encounter with Jesus and how your life changed, where you were and what happened and just any yeah. details you'd like to share about that. I'd just love for them to get to hear about that from you. Yeah, I think setting up to it, you know, I grew up in a Christian school. My mom was prayer warrior, worked at the Christian school. I went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. Like I, and, and, the, and it's like, I was in Bible class all the time in the Christian school. So I, I, I lived it, but I, all I had was religion. At some point I just gave up completely. Like, I don't even think God is real. I don't even think like, I don't, I have no idea. And I got on drugs. So I'm like, I'm just, I think deep down inside, honestly, I know my pursuit of drugs was really a pursuit of God, but I, I didn't know that, but I was, I was trying to find God. I was trying to find an, an experience of a different world, of a better world, of a world without worry, a world without fear, a world of, of supernatural. Like, like I was trying to find a supernatural world. I just thought drugs was the way to do it. So I'm, I go full on at, at, you know, starting with marijuana. And then when I was 21, I started snorting coke. And then from there, it turned into meth and then it turned into acid and then it went to ecstasy and then it went to ecstasy and coke and ecstasy and acid and ecstasy and mushrooms and ecstasy and ecstasy and everything. And I, I just wanted to do ecstasy and I did it so much. I didn't even know there was side effects because I just stayed high all the time. Like we just, I was snorting five pills a, a day at one point, just really going i was off the rails like i was self-destructing and didn't know it and i yeah i you know the drug world has a lot of bad stuff that comes along with it so all the bad stuff that came along with it what i was as involved in as i possibly could be um you know hurting people stealing stuff being stolen from all of that just my whole life was traumatized by drugs and it got to the point where I my friend had gotten me this job that was amazing they were training me to be a chef and I really really loved it so it's the only time I would be sober was when I was trying to learn and like I was developing quickly and getting better and better and I loved my job it's the only thing keeping me sort of normal not just full on on drugs all the time because two years before this all I did was sell and do drugs I had to sell drugs just to pay for my habit because sometimes my habit was well over a thousand dollars on average it was probably 350 dollars a day but at, like there was it was easy at some points like I mean you, you snort a line of coke that costs literally 150 bucks and it takes you two seconds to snort it like okay well and in a couple hours or less you have to have something else to keep going and so typically less. So that thing racked up fast. So I'm selling drugs, doing drugs. I get this job. It gets me sort of normal. Although when I'm not working, I'm doing all the drugs and the bosses are like selling drugs. Like our, our sous chef sold ecstasy to the cooks. And so it was just wild. And then I go to work one day and they fire me out of nowhere for something I don't remember doing. So I, I leave this 
I'm totally heartbroken. I'm totally destroyed. Like I'm, this is the only thing keeping me normal, right? Like I know this is the only thing I care about in life is, is becoming a chef and I really like it. And now it's gone. So I go to my friend's house. I smoke a joint. He's the one that got me the job. I tell him, then I go to my house and I'm totally broken. And I, I get my gun out. I stick my gun in my mouth and I, I, I'm about to pull the trigger and kill myself. Like, I don't know what else to do. I'm done. And I put the gun in my mouth and I start to cry. And I say, I wish I would have listened to my pastors. I wish I would have listened to my teachers. I wish I would have listened to my parents. I wish I could start my life over. I wish I could just be born again. And I had no idea what I was saying until I felt somebody walk through the wall and I hear this voice out loud. I couldn't see anyone. I knew they were there. And I, I heard it loud and clear as if it was out loud. I hear, you must be born again. And because I was a little kid in the Christian school and the church and everything, I knew who was talking. I'm like, Jesus, if you're real, here's, a, I don't always say this either. I said, Jesus, if you're real, my life is effed. And if you can make me born again, I need you to make me born again, or I'm going to kill myself. And I started weeping uncontrollably. And I started confessing all my sins, just confessing, confessing, confessing. It's pouring out of me. I can't stop it. And somewhere I fall asleep in the middle of the night. I told God in the middle of that too. I said, if you get me out of this, I will help children not go down the path that I went down. So I had no idea what I was saying. It just came out. But I remember it clear as day. And at some point I fall asleep. And I wake up the next morning completely delivered from drugs. I had no idea what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't I have no craving, no desire, no relapse, no, no withdrawals, no program, no nothing. One step program. He steps into my body and all steps out. And I, I'm like, I go to my mom's house. I get some old 1980s worship CDs. I get my Bible from when I graduated junior high and I sit in my house. I read my Bible all day. I pray for all my friends and I listen to this old worship music and I don't know what else to do. And I just, and two days later, I run into a friend and he's like, I said, Josh, I'm a Christian again. He was a friend from junior high. He's like, Seth, I'm a youth pastor. Come to my youth club. We, we minister to skater punk, skater goth punks, gothic punk. Like, I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that is. And so I, I share my testimony. I'm doing ministry with all these people. And it was like in two days, I got snatched out of one world and dropped in another. And that's how all this started. And then I was like, I find myself in New York doing the ministry with kids. I'm like, oh, I'm helping kids not go down the path I went down. And I didn't even realize what was going on. It just sort of happened, happened, happened. And so that's how I realized Jesus is real. And that's how I got saved again for the first time, even though I grew up knowing all about God. Yeah. Wow. Seth, that's crazy. So question, you said to yeah. Jesus when he was standing there in the room with you, my life is effed. effed. That was my prayer. <laughs> yeah. I was being honest. It's a real yeah. prayer. What Come it, on. Some, I think he loved it. I didn't, sorry. <laughs> what were you going to ask? I was going to ask, how do you think, think he felt about you using oh, that yeah. language? No, I think he loved it because it's authentic. Like a lot of times the reason, like a lot of times Christians don't pray real prayers. You know, it's like if you look at David, like David had some real prayers, real prayers. 
And he's a man after God's own heart. Why? Because if you don't have real prayers, you're actually only showing God your PR person. Like he's never even met you. He's only been, it's like, you're, Hey, can you just talk to customer service Lord? Because I, the manager's not in, in right now. And, and, and we put on these false, you know, we say all this stuff. We don't actually say what's going on. I think God would rather hear an authentic cuss word than an inauthentic, super, perfect polished clean like fake prayer and and he heard me like i said god my life was effed jesus my life was effed and he and he he's like oh now i can now i can help you because you're showing me you wow you're being honest with you wow it's huge for sure i love it i mean i'm not i'm not advocating like i'm a big fan of like choosing your words carefully and wisely and you know i don't cuss on a regular basis i'm not a cusser i don't i was i was then but i'm not a cusser like i work with kids and i understand like if i'm a cusser in normal life and then i'm on stage with a bunch of kids i'm gonna accidentally cuss and i was like what'd you learn in kids church oh i learned the f-bomb like well that's not good so i've just i i don't i'm not like perpetuating cussing but you know, even Dr. Caroline Leaf, one of the biggest names in all mental health on the planet, she says, like, cussing when you need to is actually a key to mental health because it's you being honest. If you're not honest, you can't actually get help. Why? The, the Bible says, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So honesty, truth not hiding, not protecting ourselves, being totally honest and vulnerable. That's how you get free. And a lot of times people are in bondage because they're in bondage with their own language, with what they allow to come out of their mouth. And their mind is mentally locked up because they won't be honest with what comes out of their mouth. Yeah, that's so true. And there's about, there's not a balance. There's, you got to be real with this because there's some people that are like, you know, it's the same with doubt. There's some people that are so, and this is probably what my thing will be at the end. The confession was like, you know, you got all these people that are struggling with doubts and like, you know, I just don't understand. I just don't know. It's like, man, if you're not like, it's good to be honest about your doubts. And it's also good to go, you know what? I, I need to stay in the realm of doubt and processing with God. But if I move into unbelief, I'm screwed. And there's a, there's, there's a really important thing. Like, it's good to be honest with your doubts. Like, look at David again in the Psalms, like honest, 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 honest. And he always came out of it. He always came back to like, you know, there's an element. Like I just talked to a guy the other day about parenting. I'm like parenting is the hardest thing in the world, but I, but I can't let that hard overwhelm my perspective that this is the most amazing privilege ever god let me be a father like him god let me create humans are you kidding me like this is this is amazing and i'm honest with the heart but i don't let it change what i actually believe about what's going on mm-hmm. all yeah. that to say it's good to be honest and then come come back and it's it's good to it's good to doubt not but not to go into unbelief it's good to be transparent and real but then some people are like well i'm just gonna go i was like me being real like, yes and maybe not now you know totally yeah <sighs> so that's one thing wow. I love about you and i want to throw that in here um ever since i've known you you've always just had a value for the authentic and you've been unafraid of stepping into the dark places to just know the truth and meet jesus there I love that. I think that's so important. I think that you definitely carry something that 
we need religious leaders to have in the church today is like a willingness to you know step into the unknown and things that are scary or like outside of our convention like you've always been like willing to go there which i've always appreciated and respected and found a kindred spirit in right yeah um and so (laughs) um another thing i wanted to ask you about in this conversation because i remember specifically when we were in ireland together a few years ago we talked about this on a few different of our oh yeah multiple times that we were talking about heresy hunters right yeah People we were going to make a calendar. We were going to make a calendar with, with Eddie. Remember that? The heresy hunter calendar. Oh, gosh. Was this while we were burning like ear hairs off of Eddie? I think we were talking about this. Yes, we, we went for it. We were burning his ear hairs off because he had so many. And I was trying to help him. You were. Oh, uh, God. Um, yes, God. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about <laughs> I wanted to talk about that today. Um, so, Seth, a video came out at some point. Yeah. Yeah, um, just I mean, this is news to me. I didn't. I don't know what. I mean, I've heard you say some a lot of crazy stuff. That I don't think it's crazy, but you know, people in the church, yeah, like, you can't say that. Um, well, can you tell us briefly about this video, and then you know what has come out of this, and then I would like to just discuss. Yeah. How, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I feel like we could talk forever about this, but so the video was, I, I had this encounter with Jesus. So all right, let me set it up. So. The first time I had an out-of-body experience with Jesus, I literally believed for a couple seconds somebody put acid in my drink. I I feel like I have taken like seven hits of acid and I am gone. I am full-on hallucinating out of my body, gone, gone. And I open my eyes and I'm in a church. But when I close my eyes, I'm in God's kitchen and I have this crazy encounter that radically changed me forever. And it was so powerful. And I'm like, wow, what in the world? That's what I was looking for. I, I didn't know. I was looking for this level of 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 interaction with God. And I, so somehow our pastor finds out about this meeting where I'm like sucked out of my body, (laughs) wrecked. Right. And, and he goes, that is borderline witchcraft. You can't go to that church anymore. You can't. I'm like, and I'm thinking, I'm not even, I feel like I'm closer to Jesus now than when he saved me from drugs. Like I, me and Jesus are in this, like I'm having visions. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing him. I love him. I love Jesus more than ever. And, and he delivered me from drugs and I loved him a lot for that. And because of that and from that and through that, and now I love him even more. And you're telling me it's borderline occult, borderline witchcraft. I can't go there and I'm hurt. I'm super hurt. I'm super afraid. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything occult or witchcraft. Well, now, now I would say, no, no, the witchcraft and occult is borderline kingdom. They're just trying to enter in another way, not through the door. John 10, right? So like, oh no, what they're doing is borderline kingdom. This is the authentic. This is this, you know, look at Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, like John, just look at them all. Like the whole Bible is a bunch of this stuff. And, and, and you, yeah, oh, it's all there. So, so I'm super hurt, right? So I, I come to Bethel, I have this encounter. And so this is where the story picks up. The video is me sharing a part of this next out-of-body encounter so i'm laying on the floor at bethel and again i go out of my body i've only really had two of these that i would say are at this level like 
where you know it's Paul out whether in the body or out of the body I don't know like dang can't even tell you what I saw right like well maybe I shouldn't have told people what I saw because they got so mad at me but here's what happens I walk up to Jesus I give him a hug he hugs me he holds me close to his chest and he starts weeping and I'm like okay I don't understand what's happening I can't see anything I can't all I can hear is he's weeping and I can feel his heart and him weeping I can I can't see but I can hear and feel and he says please forgive me please forgive me please forgive me and I'm like what do you mean I don't and I didn't understand and he says your pastor hurt you by saying this borderline witchcraft borderline occult for doing what we're doing right now he said that your pastor hurt you he's a member of my body please forgive me for what he did so and in the video i said you know isn't this the gospel that jesus took the blame for something he never did right so this got this online this video i had so many people coming up going thank you like i've been so offended at god oh my gosh stop calling people sorry <laughs> I have no idea how they're getting through. It's on us. Okay. So I had so many people saying, oh my gosh, I've been so offended at God, blaming him for what church leaders did, blaming him for what pastors did, blaming him for all this stuff. I've been blaming him for it because they're a part of him. They're a member of his body. They're, they're his leadership in, in, in my city or whatever. I've been so offended at him. Thank you. I forgave God for for something i was blaming him for that he didn't actually do but people did in his name and so like so many people were loving it but then the heresy hunters came like jesus needs no forgiveness i'm like wait yeah i know they're like jesus never sinned i'm like you honestly think i said jesus sinned when in the video i said i don't understand i don't know what you're talking about jesus like and, and he was asking forgiveness for something he did not do. He was taking the blame. He was, and here's, here's how it plays out. Like, think about this in normal life. Have you ever been offended and needed to forgive a person who did nothing wrong to you, but you perceived it as something they did wrong? So someone, whatever, it, this, is, this stuff happens in church all the time. You're walking down the hallway at church and your pastor doesn't say good morning and give you a hug and you're offended. It's like, oh, my gosh. And then you find out an hour later in the sermon, the pastor's father died. Like, oh, my gosh, no wonder he didn't say hello to me. But I was offended. I was I needed to forgive him for something he didn't actually do. But I need to forgive him for the story I told myself or my perspective of what happened. Right. So, I mean, we've all had this like, you know, like, oh, my gosh, I need to forgive you. But you don't need forgiveness. Because you didn't do what I thought you did. You did nothing. I thought you did something. So I actually need to forgive you. At the same time, you need zero forgiveness. Right? Does that make sense? Totally. To, me, to me, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Jesus wasn't asking me to forgive him for something he did. He was asking me to let go of my grudge against him so that he could be back in relationship with me and I could be back in relationship with him. And he knew the only way to do it is to, to get me to let go of my offense at him. Right. So, man, these heresy hunters came at me and I, you know, I had leadership going, Seth. Can you just explain what you meant? Did you mean Jesus sinned like what 
what are you talking about? No, I did not mean that. And they're like, okay, good. You're good. People are offended at God all the time. Oh my gosh. You know how many people are offended at Jesus because of Christians? Pretty much everyone that's not a Christian. <laughs> right? Yeah. Come totally. on. Yep. Like, dude, my the whole challenge of the belief of the healthy believer is to break down the, the the poor beliefs about Jesus because of what other Christians have done to them. Mm. Like, wow, Christians have really hurt you. Oh my gosh, please forget, please forgive me for what other Christians did. They didn't represent Jesus well. I'm so sorry. Like, wow, that's a huge deal. So all of that to say, the heresy hunters came at me. I went right. Leadership came to me and said, "Can you just tell us what you meant?" Like, did you mean Jesus sin? Like, no, 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 no. They're like, okay, cool. Like, hey, people are getting free because people are realizing they're mad. They're blaming Jesus and mad at Jesus. And, and that's no way to have a relationship with anyone, right? So, yeah. So that's how, that was the video was me sharing that second story. And of course, you know, some of them came at me because like, he's talking about this encounter and this vision and this trance and this, this out of body experience. That's not biblical. Um, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that's fully biblical. And, um, and, and then they went off with the other stuff and they still come at me like every few months, boom, it pops up again. It just came up again. So, and once in a while, I like to push it. Like um, there's a guy, I forget who it was super respected theologian wrote a book called totally forgiving god and that's 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 what i'm talking about like he has a whole book rc sproul or one of those guys like super respected leader wrote an entire book on forgiving god because so many people are so they blame god for so much they're offended at god for so much and he didn't do any of it yeah totally. so they came at me wow so Seth, I want to ask, especially someone who's definitely engaged in this, you know, I think there are a lot of Christians who never really even have to deal with what we're calling heresy hunters because they're not saying anything that's offensive. If anything, they're, right. you know, they might even be on the side of the heresy hunters. Yeah. Um, for someone who's definitely like gotten into the boat or sorry, gotten like stepped into the arena and like participated and like really touched. What is this? Where is this coming yeah. from? Um, where do you think that's coming from? Why are people taking up this cause of trying to hunt other people they think are leading people astray like I, i'm assuming they must believe they're doing something good right what do you think yes no, i think down at the bottom of it that's what it is it's like they they want people i think it, it's birthed out of a genuine heart for being a, a leader a shepherd protecting the flock protecting people helping people you know if i see a wolf i definitely want to attack the wolf so i think deep inside it's a pure heart i i do think some people adopt it as like this is my full-time ministry is to figure out what's wrong and what believers are saying that is inaccurate and attack 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 and it's like and i think sometimes too people these guys get off track because they're they're calling everything a heresy and there's a difference between an error and a heresy you know it's like wait just because you're wrong doesn't mean you're not going to change in six months. But if I approach you a certain way, I'm actually going to make you strengthen this and probably prevent you from changing what you believe. Your error, I'm, I prevent you from changing your error because I called you a, her a heretic. And so I think, yeah, deep inside, it's a genuine, genuine desire to, for people to know the truth. But then, you know, it's layers on top of that of like, self-protection 
you're fear. I'm so scared that you're going to lead people astray. I'm so scared that people are going to walk away from Jesus because of this. And I'm so like, there's just a lot of fear and a lot of protection, unhealthy protection that gets layered on top of a genuine heart mm. that I think is the cause of that. Mm. I need to say some other stuff though. So like, you know, I read somewhere this, I haven't posted this, but I'm going to post it at some point. Like I'm always ready to defend what I said. I will never defend what you misinterpreted me saying. And so I think we've got to keep in mind, there's some practical stuff I learned along this journey that was really, really good for me. You know, it's like Jesus had the Pharisees and, and the, the teachers of the law, the original heresy hunters. Jesus had the original heresy hunters trying to push him off a cliff. And he doesn't argue. He doesn't dialogue. He doesn't talk. He doesn't say anything. He just disappears, passes through and goes about his business. Right. Then you have the other. Then you have the heresy hunters who bring the woman caught in adultery to him. And they're like. Here's what, here's what the book says. Here's what the law says. What do you say? Trying to set him up. And he just ignores them, kneels down, starts writing in the sand, and they all just leave. And we don't know what he wrote, whatever, but they all leave. Everyone thinks they, he was probably writing some stuff that they'd done or whatever. And so they get convicted and they have to leave. And he's, you know, he says, if you're without that sin, throw the first stone. And I think that's important for heresy hunters to remember is like, you're chucking a lot of stones. I hope you're perfectly correct on everything. You're throwing a lot of stones. I hope you have zero error at ever. Otherwise, those stones are going to come your way at some point. And so, but so like, but then you have, was, was it Nicodemus in John 3 who gets the heavy revy of being born again? Like he's the only person that gets the born again revelation words out of Jesus mouth. And what is he? A teacher of the law. And he sneaks in by night and he goes, Psst, Jesus, we know you're a teacher come from God because no one can do what you do unless God's with him. And Jesus is like, oh, now I'll talk to you. When you push me off the cliff, I won't talk to you. When you try to get me to throw a stone, not going to talk to you. When you're trying to maybe kill that woman not going to talk to you oh you're going to come to me in private and you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to recognize then he talks to this heresy hunter right so so i think that's important to remember another thing that was powerful for me was i had to go to the lord i'm like lord these guys are after me and he goes welcome to the club I'm like what do you mean he's like well you know when i came to earth i intentionally came in a way that looked like sin. It looked like Mary had committed adultery. And according to the Bible, she's supposed to be killed and the baby. And I intentionally came in a way that looked like sin, unless you had real faith. To believe that a woman is pregnant from God and the God child is coming to the earth from a virgin is outlandish outlandish even though there was prophetic words outlandish like oh and he, he told me like seth if they knew about mary they would have tried to kill me in the womb and they would have been doing it in the name of god trying to kill me in the womb and so i he said i knew they were going to misunderstand me my whole through 33 years they're going to misunderstand me they're going to try to kill me they're going to hate me i knew going into this that's what was going to happen and i came anyway and and 
and welcome to the club. And he just started helping me through this. Like, you're, it's okay to be misunderstood. At some point, you got to be okay with it. At some point, you got to be fine. Like, it's that whole deal. Like, Jesus is not trying to not offend. But he does, it's actually okay if you get offended. Like, dude, you know, you get a woman, like, I'm pregnant with the God child. Uh, God made me pregnant. The Holy Spirit came upon me. Now I'm pregnant. And even her husband, even Joseph's like, yeah, you're nuts. I'm going to put you away secretly. He had to have Gabriel come to him and go, no, no, this is real. This is real. If you leave her and they find out she's pregnant, he didn't say that, but that's what could have happened. Like, this could be bad. No, Jesus needs a dad. So you're going to not leave her. You're going to marry her. This is legit. And so, you know, sometimes that's all these people need. It's like, no, you just need an encounter with an angel or something to tell you, like, back off. I know it sounds crazy. The woman's pregnant with God, but back off. So all that to say, it was actually really good for me because it helped me get through this thing of, like, I have to have everybody be okay with me. I have to have everybody like me. I have to be... Um, I have to have everybody think good things about me all the time. Like, nope, now I'm okay. Now that I see that Jesus had that his whole entire ministry, I'm like, okay, good. I'm in. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. What a mess. Jesus, they, these guys were basically heresy hunting Jesus the whole time. That's all they did. There's, you know, how did how they kill him? He's blaspheming God. No, he's not blaspheming God. He's He is God. He's the only one that's showing you who God actually is. He's the only one showing you, oh, he's eating with sinners. Huh, must be a sinner. No, no, no. Just because you're guilty by association, they're innocent. by They're righteous by association because they're eating dinner with him and you're staying away from him. And he's actually imparting righteousness to these people. He's actually giving them love. He's going to pull them out of this by just being with them. And you're over here attacking him for this kind of thing. And you don't even realize what's going on here. Those people will never get healthy because you just keep attacking them. And they're going to get healthy when he sits down and eats with them. And you're over here saying he's blaspheming God. He's the ultimate heretic. He's, no, 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 you're wrong. He is God. Wow. Yeah, totally. Ah, gosh. Seth, I'm curious. This is kind of an interesting bent. I was not planning on taking on this, but I'm, um, let's say we've got some people listening to this who maybe don't even know that they are. Hunting for heresies. Right? Yeah, maybe they're, they're that, you know, like they spend most of their time and energy trying to find ways to disprove or protect themselves from things people are saying. Maybe they're saying things on behalf of God. They're like, oh, I don't like that. That's scary. That's, that doesn't fit in my understanding of the book. So I'm going to poke holes in it and like totally invalidate or whatever. What would you say to the heresy hunters? <laughs> um, like one, to first of all, if they don't know that's what they are, like yeah, what are some things you can help them know? Like, hey, you might be, that might be you if this is what's going on. And then two, like, what would you say to them as far as like, responding to their motive or drive in this oh man i don't know i mean i guess it depends if they're a nicodemus or a cliff pusher let's start like, with the cliff pushers okay so the cliff pushers like i guess it's like man sheesh i don't know what i would say to these guys well like i would i think i need a goat that direction it's similar to what i would say you know there's a lot of people that have been hurt by church leadership and they say things like my old pastor was a saul 
And I'm like, well, then you better be a David. If, if you're going to call people Saul, you better be a David. And right now, you saying that is not being a David. Because David's over there. Yeah, he's running. But he's not attacking him. He's not criticizing him. He's just, he's just trying to make it through. You know, he cuts off the little piece of his garment and then regrets it like oh my gosh i touched the lord's anointed like you better make sure you're a real david if you're calling somebody a real soul so that that to me is is a huge deal but it goes along with this is like if you're gonna heresy hunt you better you better hope to god you're perfectly correct in every single thing you ever say and ever do and guess what if you're there you don't need a savior so you've just you've just pushed yourself out of the gospel because you are so perfectly correct and so right and everything is so perfect in how you live your life that you need no savior at all. You're so flawless and so perfect and you better be that if you're going to attack other people. Otherwise, it's only going to circle back to you because you're dishing out a lot of judgment. You're dishing out a lot of criticism and you only get judged if you judge. And so it's like, wait a second, you got to give some people some grace and you got to be curious and you got to understand that you probably maybe don't hear exactly what they're saying. Like, come on, I've never even talked to a fair to a heresy hunter about my stuff because because I've just never had the conversation. Like, you know, I would I would totally talk to you about this because I'm OK. I'll talk to it on on a certain stage. I'll, I'll preach this. I'll tell this. I'll like, you know, but like if like to say this stuff to them like wait a second you thought i said something i didn't actually say and so this whole thing is blown out of proportion because you thought i said something i didn't actually say and so wait a second i'll defend what i said i won't defend what you think i said mm. because because that's like so part of that is wait a second you got to understand i may have misunderstood you i may have heard something you didn't actually say i may have heard you through my filter not through what you really said and so i might not be correct in how i'm interpreting what you're saying so to be curious is huge to go hey like like bethel leadership did with me like seth can you tell us what you meant did you mean jesus sinned and needed to be forgiven for something he did for disobeying god like absolutely not like okay good but they came curious. Like, what did you mean? Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more? You know, I've never seen a heresy hunter go, do you mean Jesus sinned? And at, they don't even ask a question. If they would ask the question and be a little bit curious, I go, absolutely not. He's the perfect, sinless son of God, second person of the Trinity, dead, buried, resurrected, glorified at the right hand of the father i tell you all the right theological stuff about jesus and i'll tell you sorry it just beeped again i'll tell you you know like no but none of them ask questions they're not curious like they just come out with these statements jesus never sinned jesus needs no forgiveness i'm like absolutely jesus needs no forgiveness because i totally agree with them I fully agree with them. I've always agreed with them. I'll never not agree with them. Jesus never sinned. He needs no forgiveness. I needed to forgive Jesus because of what I was holding against him. 
And so asking a question and staying curious, curiosity will keep you out of judgment, which means curiosity will keep you from get from, from reaping judgment back on you. Hey, what did you mean? What did you say? I could have misinterpreted you. I could have heard you wrong. Here's what I thought. Is that real? Is that what you meant? Absolutely not. And you might find yourself actually going, oh, wow. I think he's, I think that person's right. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Oh, man. That's thanks for clarifying. Glad I came curious instead of in judgment. And if you're a heresy hunter, like, man, don't be surprised if these people just flat out ignore you. Like, and you know, it's like some of this stuff too. It's like, it's simple. It's super simple. Like Facebook and Instagram and all these things. It is so clear. Like, oh, okay. So you're just going to comment publicly and not even ask a question in private. That's a huge flag. Um, you're not going to friend request or even follow. You're just going to attack. So automatically, that's Pharisee territory. I'm not going to be a follower. I'm not going to be a disciple. I'm not going to come in as a learner. I'm going to come in as a, as a judger and a criticizer and a critiquer. So, oh, if you're just going to comment, but you're not going to follow and see everything. Oh, you, you have no idea who I am. It's the same thing I've watched over and over with these, with some of these leaders that I know. Like I've seen it with Bill Johnson over and over. I'm like, wow, you guys say a lot of things about Bill. And you don't know him. You have no idea who he is. Man, if you sat with him for a half an hour, you'd probably shut up. And you'd probably publicly repent for everything you've been saying for the last few years because you actually met the man. You actually talked with the man. Like that might help you in life is to talk to people and, and actually start a relationship, not just throw stones from a distance. Like, so, you know, it's like, Hey, maybe follow the person. If you're a Facebook Pharisee, maybe follow the person, maybe friend request them, maybe read some more of their stuff. Maybe understand that you don't fully know. You may be interpreting wrong what they're saying. You may be mishearing. You may be filtering things through your own pain, through your own self-protection. Self-protection is a horrible filter to have. You will never hear the truth if you have self-protection as a filter, ever. Everything you hear will be skewed. If you're surrounded by self-protection, basically. Yeah. Totally. Self-pity, same thing. Fear, come on, here's what I've said. Here's what I've said so many times. If you're afraid of becoming deceived, it's too late. You already are. Fear is a deception. Fear is the ultimate deception. So if you're living your life afraid to be deceived and afraid of other people to be deceived, it's too late. You already are. You cannot protect yourself from being deceived. You fully embraced it when you embraced fear. Wow. <laughs> and you're not going to help anybody. You're not going to help anybody. You're just going to you're just going to be participating in deceiving others by becoming afraid of being deceived. Look, I'm not afraid to be deceived. Can it happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if I'm afraid of it, I actually have already let it in. Wow. Wow, Seth, that's so true. And so offensive. Oh, geez. Yeah, sitting in that spot. What would you say to someone, let's say they're a Nicodemus, where they're hearing someone say something that they're like, that's crazy. That doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense. It lines up with nothing that I know about scripture or whatever. Mm -hmm. Let's say the person they're listening to is saying something that God has told them. What would you advise the Nicodemus 
you know, the person who's like, hey, I can't agree with this. It's offensive. It, there's something wrong here or whatever. How would you advise that they approach that? Or what do they do if they hear someone saying something that God told them that they can't find in scripture? Okay, so it's important to remember that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And so if we think somebody needs to repent for a, a wrong belief or something they're saying that's that's weird or whatever, like if I think a person needs to repent, first posture is I need to pray for God's goodness in their life. I need to take a position that I want the goodness of God to touch them so that they can they can repent. But if I just attack them with the badness, like Rah, rah, rah. like if I just throw badness, badness, badness at them. So I would say first pray for them, get your heart in a position where you genuinely care about the person and pray for them and pray for God's goodness, pray for, pray for the goodness to come upon them. And, and if, if possible, yeah, try to get in relationship with them. Like relationship can solve a lot of stuff. Like social media has made it so that you can you can find out what anyone's doing without any relationship you've probably you've probably met people you have a big following i have a i have a decent following but like i'll be in an airport and someone will come up to me and be like seth oh my gosh hey i just saw that you guys brought harvested some honey from your bees oh my goodness i wish i could taste it that am i who, I have no idea who you are. Oh, you know all about me. I don't know you. We have zero relationship, but it feels like we do. So you feel confident to approach people and talk to people. It's like, that's what social media has done. One of the things social media has done is like, it allows you to know a lot about stuff without having any real relationship. And so that's where the danger comes in. Is like, I actually don't know you, so I better be careful. It's like David. You better, you want to take a heart of David. Like, if you're God's anointed, I better not touch you, even if you're very wrong, even if you're trying to kill me, even if you're the one hunting me down, I should probably tread carefully here because if I touch you and you are God's anointed, I'm the one that's screwed. So I think that's pray for them. Get a genuine heart. Try to get in relationship if you can. Hey, and stay super, super curious. And of course, and if you're in relationship, then, then you have permission. If you're really in relationship, you have permission to go, hey, I'm, I'm not really sure about that. Can we talk through that some more? And the person won't have their guard up and you don't have your guard up and you're in a conversation. And now you actually have a place to influence them. Attacking people removes your ability to influence them and it only tightens up their protection against you. So it's like if you actually want to help people, you need to gain influence and you only gain influence when you have a relationship. So like if me and you were talking, if I heard you say something, I'm like, wow, I don't really know. I could, I could totally call you and go, Mike, talk me through this. What are you thinking? What's going on? All right. Hey, I don't know. I don't know about that. Maybe rethink it. Maybe say it differently because you're being misunderstood. And I would try to help you. I genuinely want to help you. Like, come on. I've had, I've had the same thing happen. And here's what a, a, a father in my life did. I said this. I said, I'm just going to be totally like out there with you. Like I, from the stage, I said, I said, the kingdom of God is within us. We're already raised up together and seated together in the heavenly places in Christ. We live from heaven to earth. That's in the Bible. It's all biblical. Okay. You're already in heaven. So when you die, 
you don't necessarily go to heaven. You become very aware of the heaven you're in, fully aware of the heaven you're in. The natural world has, has made you unaware of where you currently are, right? So, and then I said, but eternity is in the heart of man. And if you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, then do you really go to hell? Or do you become very aware of the hell you're already connected to? So I, I just threw this out there. And then I had a father come and say, hey, you're being misinterpreted. People think you just said there's no hell. I'm like, that's absolutely not what I just said. I just said you become very aware of the hell you're you're already connected to and you're already in. Like your hell's in you, just like heaven's in you or heaven's in you. And or you're in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. You're seated in the heavenly places or you're not. You're either going along with Jesus and believing what he's telling you or he's calling you Satan himself. Get behind me, Satan. When he talks up here, I'm like, wow, that's a strong statement. He doesn't say, get behind me. You're listening to Satan. Get behind me. You are fully partnered, fully enveloped with him. Like that's okay. So I said all this and a leader came and said, hey, you know what? Probably next time you should say, um, you should ask it more like a question. So they, they just helped me. Like if I were on stage saying this again, I would say something like, Hey, so here's some stuff I'm thinking. If, I, if you're already seated in the heavenly places, when you die, you don't, you don't re do you really go to heaven or do you discover that you are fully there and you become fully aware of heaven you are in, in the same way. So I would be more explorative in my talk not making it sound like so oh gosh sorry i just took a giant rabbit trail it's probably going to get me in more trouble but all of that to say it's good if you have a relationship you can you can give input and you can have influence and you can help people like hey oh i understand what you're saying maybe next time try this and it'll eliminate a lot of the heresy hunters because you just said it a little bit different you know what I mean? So like, but you can't say that if you're just throwing Facebook comments out there. You can't say that if you're just posting them on your own Facebook and websites and, and saying all your judgments against them and, and interpreting for them what you think they said. No, you have no idea what you think they said because they did not say that. That's not what they actually said. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe. But like, oh, if you have a relationship, if you actually have a little bit of connection, you can say, I don't know if that's the best approach. Maybe try this, or I don't know if that's actually right. Kind of, kind of feels wrong to me. Can we talk through it more? Can we dialogue? I just had this whole conversation with the friend. Like he thinks you can lose your salvation and I'm not so sure. And we're going back and forth, back and forth, but we're influencing each other. Like why? Cause we have a relationship. Mm. Now, if he just threw this at me on Facebook, sorry. We, yeah. we have no, we, we're not going to talk about it. Why wow, you're attacking me. Sorry. I, I defend myself against attackers. Like, well, not really, but like, go ahead and attack. But I'm not going to just, I'm going to disappear and walk through the crowd and move on with my life. But if you actually came and said, hey, some good fruit in your life. Looks like people are coming to Jesus. People are loving Jesus. Like, wow, you got some good fruit. Can we talk about a couple things? That would help a lot. That was a really long answer, Rabbit Trail City, but. No, that's awesome. Thank you. I love it. That's helpful. It's just very practical things in there that I think help for people to hear. So obviously, Seth, in your journey, you've had such a colorful experience 
you know, in the church world, participating in ministry and leadership and all that. And then obviously you're a, rev a very revelatory person. You're picking up stuff from the Lord and dropping it and whatever. And there's a whole craft to that. And obviously all this drama you get to sort through with all this experience and all this passion you have and all this intimacy with the Lord, you're walking and all these things that are going on. Do you have a confession you'd care to share on, you know, cause this podcast is called confessions of a reformer. Is there something in your process or in your experience where you're like, man, I don't, Ah, I don't know what to do with this, right? You know, anything in that arena you'd care to share on this episode? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I have a few. <laughs> All right, so if we can drum up even more heresy hunters for you to, to play with. One of the things, one of the things I think I'm navigating, wrestling with is this whole idea of deconstruction. So like, there's a lot of people that have deconstructed from the church. Um, they don't go to church. They don't believe in the church. They were probably hurt by the church. Some of them are healed. Some of them are not. And it's, it's sometimes it's obvious, like, okay, this is all a reaction. You're just, you've got a giant gaping wound. And so you're, you're, attacking the church this deconstructing the church because of not from a healthy place from an unhealthy place and so i'm watching a lot of this and i think i think there's some very scary stuff to me about it like oh this is this is not good because it feels like some people have deconstructed beyond just how church functions and how leadership functions into deconstructing god altogether deconstructing the bible you don't believe the bible you almost don't believe like you fully it's like you've let doubt take you into full-on unbelief and so i i'm i'm looking at it because i'm like wow the church has been forced to make adjustments because of covid so like wow people are gathering in small groups in their homes and they really love it and it's like potentially we don't want to go back to church the way it was potentially church wasn't the way it's really designed to be or potentially we've made every expression something that's supposed to be a a, a periodic expression um but covid's forced us to do church completely different and people are exploring it and so i think i'm 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 navigating through this deconstruction thing because i'm like some of this is awesome like yeah we want to look at church and how leadership functions and how community functions and how you do this but then at the same time it's also like and you need to have some kind of tether and you need to like don't deconstruct too far so i'm like some of these people i'm like this is good this is good this is good oh no this is scary this is scary this is scary so like there's a lot of things about the deconstruction movement that i'm like this is amazing and then i'm like oh no that's just a big gaping wound. Oh no. You know, like, like you got to remember Jesus had, you know, he's got periodically, he's got mass multitudes of people like, wow, he's conducting these large services. There's no community. There's no small groups. There's no organized anything. There's no outreach. Like Jesus is full on just preaching to masses. And so you got people are like, mega churches horrible large gathering horrible rah, rah, rah. like there's no like oh well except jesus did it and then you got jesus has the three so i think we've seen a lot of people that are like big church mega churches horrible deconstruct the mega church like except jesus had a mega church 
but he also had 12 and he also had three and he also had 70. And it's like, okay, so wait a second. If you only have three and you never have multitudes, it's not the ministry of Jesus. If you only have multitudes and you never have three, it's not the ministry of Jesus. It's okay to have a mega church as long as you have three. And it's okay to have three as long as you also have a bigger audience you're trying to reach out to. And you're not just in your own little tiny group forever. So I don't know. I feel like I'm totally rambling on this because it's one of the areas I'm like, I love deconstruction and I hate deconstruction all at the same time. Mm. And I think it can be really awesome and horribly scary and not good for humans. Mm. You know, it's like, hey, I think there's a good thing that, you know, the Bible says, do not neglect the gathering together. Like, make sure and gather. Like, okay, well, me and you can gather online. So we're not neglecting that. We're not you know, it doesn't have to be 10,000 people to have a gathering. It can be one. It can be two. But it's like if we only did this COVID status, like from a distance on the screens, like, yeah, that's not the best for you either. Mm. So like you can gather in all different kinds of ways. Absolutely. But you got to make sure you're gathering. You're not isolating and you're not shutting out all of Christianity because, ugh. I mean, some of that thing, too, is like some of the deconstruction, I guess it comes down to, are you just hunting heresy and how people express community and express church? Or are you actually trying to help something here? And are you doing it with the Lord? And are you doing it from a healthy place? Or are you just reacting to all this pain? And I don't know. I don't know if that answers. That's my confession. I'm really wrestling with this because I like it a lot and I don't all yeah. at once. Totally. No, that's perfect. Totally. That makes, that's that to me, that's a confession for sure. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. What an interesting, and it is growing. There's such a momentum. It's growing. Yeah. It's fascinating to see what's happening there. Thank you for sharing, Seth. Um, last question and we got to land this plane. Okay. What do you got going on in your world that, you know, people need to know about you have something going on people can participate in or, you know, support you in or yeah. What's yeah. going on? Well, okay, so I just wrote a new book called Raising Spirit-Led Kids, Whoa! which definitely has to do with you want to make sure it's the Holy Spirit you're dealing with when you're raising your kids. Control is not an element of the Holy Spirit. Self-control is. And so that's a huge part of it. So I just wrote that book for parents. It's called Raising Spirit-Led Kids. I also have a Facebook group kind of around it that's called Spirit-Led Parenting. Um, that's totally free all of that uh, we just came out with these prayer cards so i made these prayer cards this is awesome there's 30 cards for kids there's a little wooden block that says oh i have oh well it's all, only on audio <laughs> i make these little wooden blocks out of poplar because poplar is the wood jacob used to change what the sheep were reproducing instead of reproducing after what their parents made them they reproduced after what their shepherd wanted had them looking at and so i use poplar wood wood and we have these prayers that kids can pray they just grab a prayer they pray it or it's a reminder from god or it's a declaration they flip it around and it's a new one for the next day and they're super cute but we made some for kids we made some for parents and we made some for grandparents to pray over their families and we sold out in less than 24 hours. And so we're ordering more, but that's something like, if you want, you know, for your kids, for your family, if you're a grandparent, it's a good thing to stick on your, on your dresser and like 
pray a prayer over your family. It reminds you to pray over your family every day. To, it reminds you about truth over your family. And then you flip it around and do it again. And, and kids, to help them learn how to pray and agree with God. And, you know, God says like, hey, like one of them says, listen carefully for me today. I want you to hear my voice. God, like, oh, come on. God wants us to hear his voice. Just a reminder to kids, like, pay attention. God's going to be talking. He wants you to hear him. Pay attention. And then the next day, it's like, I have favor with my teachers. Like, declare that over your life. I have favor with my teachers. Boom. So it's a really fun project we put together, and apparently people loved it. So <laughs> by the time this comes out, it'll probably be available again because we just ordered a whole bunch more. Nice. Okay, so how do people get a hold of the books? The yep. Cards? How do they, where do they go? Sethdahl.com. Perfect. Just my name, S-E-T-H-D-A-H-L.com. It's all there. Blogs, articles, everything. Perfect. And all your resources are available? All resources are there. Okay. I've been doing workshops for parents too, online workshops. So we did one on busting anger. We did one on, um, I forget what the next one was. And we're doing one on um, strong-willed kids, kids who are actually leaders but we label them strong-willed and how to actually love leading them rather than be frustrated with them. So nice. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. Most of it's for parents right now and families. Yep. Um, I love it. We yep. also do something called Jesus Loves Austin. I have a whole Instagram. We have a media team that films and creates content for churches and we're, we call it digital evangelism. And we're going to take it to city after city at some point. But right now we're working on Austin, but I got a Baptist church involved. I got a charismatic church involved. I got, I'm going to get this guy who's got a St. Patrick's church that's Presbyterian. Um, we're getting all these churches and we're, 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 we're teaching the, we're teaching Christians how to use social media to influence. I call it the kingdom algorithm. And I'm teaching Christians, look, whatever you tap on, that's what you're voting for. And so at some point, we're going to have it where we'll post something about Jesus. And so many Christians will like it and share it and comment on it. And, and they'll comment around Jesus, not around what denomination that pastor is from. But they'll comment on Jesus. And then the algorithms will start showing Jesus to people who aren't looking for him so we're going to get it to the place where um if you search austin texas on instagram it's easy to find jesus right now it's easy to find food fitness fashion and soft porn we're going to stick jesus in there because the algorithm is going to go wow people want to see this and we're also just nourishing the unity that's here so it's called jesus loves austin so if you want to follow us and help us like just understand if you comment you're telling instagram show this to more people if you share it you're telling instagram show this to more people whatever you tap i call it you know god told joshua like hey wherever the sole of your foot treads i have given to you and I, and now it's like wherever the finger taps god has given to you but if you're not tapping if you're not voting and you're not telling those algorithms what to show people He's like, just like it's really easy for a teenager to go on Instagram and stumble into porn, we can make it just as easy for a, a suicidal person to go on and stumble into the peaceful kingdom and find peace because Jesus showed up on their screen when they weren't trying to find him. So that's a fun project we've been working on. Okay. There's way more to it, but quick right. little. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank Seth. 
thank you so much for being on here and sharing so candidly just like thank you for having me i love this yeah my pleasure i love what's coming out of you and oh he's gonna fill seth on the world oh. <laughs> you also obviously set you on instagram yes yeah 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 sorry seth doll as well facebook and instagram just Seth doll website seth doll great seth doll everything just on all yeah. the handles you guys yeah. go follow and support Seth. He's amazing. He's a good friend of mine. Just doing really good stuff for the kingdoms. Great man. Good heart. Awesome dad. I love seeing flips of your son on Instagram. And he's, he's so he's so good at gymnastics. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, we got on. You guys, um, yep. thanks for joining us. Um, remember to like and comment and share and subscribe and give you us all the good stuff. Yeah, all the things. You know the things. And we will see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.